This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following speech was recorded in collaboration with Providence Protestant Reform Church in Hudsonville, Michigan. We hope that you enjoy and are edified by it. I'll begin with a few verses from the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And then we'll move over to verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Our subject this evening is a question. Where did we come from? And there are basically only two answers or only two approaches to this question. Either we can believe what God has said on the matter, and so we embrace by faith the divine revelation as set forth in the Holy Scriptures, where God has revealed our origins and how He is our Creator. Or, second, we can speculate by studying the world around us and then try to gain some insight into the past that might explain how we got here in the present. And the first approach is the Christian worldview. The Christian begins with the Holy Scriptures. The Christian believes the testimony of the Bible. The Christian studies the world from the perspective of the Scriptures and tests everything according to that supreme standard which is the Word of God. And the second approach is the secular worldview. The unbelieving scientist begins with the natural world. He examines that world. He tries to discover something from that world to uncover the secrets of that world, to harness the powers of that world, and all the while, the unbelieving scientist rejects any supernatural explanation for his existence or for the existence of the universe. And neither of those two worldviews can be proved. Both of them begin with an assumption, a presupposition, or an axiom. And the Christian's axiom is. God is, 
And God has spoken in his word. That's where the Christian begins. And the secularist's axiom is, or the atheist's axiom is, there is no God. And there's nothing beyond this physical material universe. Or at least there is nothing knowable beyond this physical material universe. And that's the beginning point of the secularist. We're going to look at this evening what the Bible teaches about our origins, where we came from. And the very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the rest of the Bible then simply unfolds that great truth of God the Creator. We learn from that first verse, first of all, that the universe is not eternal. The universe and everything in the universe has an origin or a beginning. Only God is eternal. Only God was there at the beginning. Only God was there before the beginning because he created the beginning. We learn secondly that the universe is not chaotic but orderly. If you read through Genesis chapter 1 you'll see that God brings various creatures into existence in a specific order or sequence. He does that in the space of six ordinary 24-hour days, beginning usually with the most simple things and ending with the more complicated things. He doesn't therefore work haphazardly or randomly. And he's working towards a goal, and you see that in chapter 1, because he's working toward the pinnacle of his creation, which is not the sun and the moon and the stars. The pinnacle of God's creation is man, is the human being. Because you see that God is making all things in order to create a home in which man can live. We learn also that the universe was not created from pre-existent matter. God, first of all, created the matter, and then he arranged or ordered that matter over a period of six days. We call that creation ex nihilo, or creation out of nothing. And so matter and time and space and all things have their origin in God. Every solid and liquid and gas, every molecule and atom owe their existence to the Creator. And that, of course, is in stark contrast to us. When we make something, when we create something, we might say, we have to start off with stuff, with some substance, which we then are able to form into something. God started off with nothing. He made everything. He created the matter. And the power behind the creation is the word of God. That's very powerfully stated in chapter 1 of Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that's repeated throughout the 
first chapter of the Bible. And God said, let there be, and there was. Psalm 33 explains it this way. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And the purpose of all of this, the purpose for which God made all things in the beginning, was the glory of his own name. God did not have to make anything. God was not lonely or incomplete without his creation. God determined to make all things so that through his creation, he could reveal something about himself, his power and his wisdom and his majesty. God makes himself known, therefore, in the creation. And even one who does not have the scriptures and has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, he knows something about God simply through the physical creation. And our response to all of this, to the creation of God, must be worship. Worship, wonder and awe at the power of God. Here's Revelation 4 verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now who is the creator? The creator is not some God. Some unknown and unknowable designer. The creator is the triune God of the Holy Scriptures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And very few, I believe, would argue, at least very few religious people would argue against the truth that the Father is the creator. But some might not understand that the Son is the creator. That is to say that Jesus Christ is the creator. And here's what the New Testament says about that. John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If you read the rest of the chapter of John chapter 1, you'll discover that the Word there refers to Jesus Christ Christ himself. He is the Word, and he is the creator of all things. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, about Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, that is, by Jesus Christ, and for him, for Jesus Christ, and he is before all things, and by him all things 
consist. And then Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 says, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And that means that our Creator is Jesus Christ, or the triune God through Jesus Christ. He is our Creator, whether we acknowledge Him or not, and whether we believe in Him or not, and whether we worship Him or not, it does not change the fact that He is our Creator. Now, so far, we've spoken only about the creation of the universe in general. Now we look at the creation of man in particular. Human beings are a unique creation of God. In fact, God devotes extra time and care to the creation of mankind, man and woman in the beginning. We see that in the creation account of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's clear from that account that humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve, they stand at the pinnacle of God's creation. Everything else which was made before them was made in preparation for them. And so God says, not let there be an Adam and let there be an Eve, but rather God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and he formed Eve from the rib of Adam. That's different from all the rest of the creation which God made. Moreover, God made Adam and Eve in his own image. No other creature was made in the image of God. That doesn't mean, of course, that they looked like God because God is a spirit and is therefore invisible, but it means that they were spiritually and ethically like God. The Bible explains this in terms of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Adam and Eve were created to know God with knowledge. Righteous, upright in other words, and holy. And they were created in such a way that they were in a relationship with God. God loved Adam and Eve in the garden. He enjoyed fellowship with them in the garden. He brought them into his own fellowship and life in the garden. And they enjoyed fellowship and love with him in the Garden of Eden. And all of this Jesus Christ affirms and confirms in the Gospels when he says, for example, in Matthew 19, verse 4 to the Pharisees, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now that we are creatures and not evolved animals, is very significant. This knowledge is the source of our confidence. If God made us 
then we are dependent on him for our very existence. And if God did not make us, and if no one made us, we are all alone in the universe, no one to care for us, and in fact there is no explanation of why we should be here at all. But the Christian confesses this, and we do it at the beginning of our worship services in the LRF, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's why we have confidence in God, because he has the power to make the heaven and the earth. If he has the power to create all things, he has certainly the power to save us and to deliver us and to preserve us unto the end. And this knowledge also is the source of our accountability. If God made us, then he has authority to rule over us. But if no one made us, and if we have simply evolved from animals, then no one has authority over us, and we can determine for ourselves how we are to live. And that, of course, is exactly why the theory of evolution is so popular. That's why man readily receives such a view, because it frees him up from having to believe in God, and it means he can live however he wants. But if God made us, he determines how we live. And the truth of the Creator also presupposes the truth of the Judge. The Creator who made us holds us accountable for how we have lived in his creation, and he has appointed a day in which he will judge all mankind on the last day in righteousness. In other words, there are two options. If Adam is in our ancestry, we are accountable to God who made Adam and who made us. And we must live as God has determined for us. If some monkey-like creature is in our ancestry, then we can determine for ourselves how we live. In fact, there are no rules, and we can live the way the monkeys live, if that's what we want to do. In fact, if there is no creator, then morality is utterly meaningless. It becomes whatever works for you or whatever works for the most people in society, or whatever is agreed upon by the people in a referendum, let's say. But that's not the full story of our creation. If we do not understand the next point of this speech, we will not be able to understand the world in which we live today. We do not live in the Garden of Eden. Something has changed. And that something is called the fall. God made all things good at the beginning. And that includes Adam and Eve, who were good, who were righteous, who were holy. 
but they fell into sin. They rebelled against God. And when they rebelled against God, they lost the image of God. They lost the knowledge that they had of God. It became corrupted. They lost the righteousness in which they had been created. They lost the holiness in which they had been created. They violated that wonderful relationship of friendship that they had with God. They became God's enemies. And thus, the world was changed at the fall of Adam and Eve. You see, Adam was not simply an individual man. Adam was created to be the head over all humanity. In fact, Adam was created to be the head over the whole of the earthly creation. God gave him dominion over all things. And when he fell, he fell into death. And he brought the entire creation down into death with him. And so he became corrupted in his very nature. His wife became corrupted in her very nature. And all those who were born after Adam and Eve, they also became corrupted in their very nature. And here's what Romans 5 verse 12 says. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that's why scientists today cannot examine the world to determine its origin. Why? Because three earth-shattering events have happened which have changed everything. First, man fell into sin and brought death and the curse upon the creation. The world we see today is a world in which death reigns in the animal world and in the human world. It's a world filled with sorrow and pain and suffering and disease. It's not the world that Adam and Eve lived in. To give just only one example of this, the fossil record is a record of animals which have died. And therefore, this fossil record must have come into existence after the fall. There was no death before the fall of man into sin. The second earth-shattering event that has occurred is that God judged the entire world with a global flood, which so devastated the earth that we cannot possibly imagine today what that old earth looked like, which species lived back then, what the climate was back then, what its geological structure was back then. The whole thing has been destroyed by a flood and has been utterly changed by the flood. So that Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 6, the world that then was, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. 
And the third thing that has happened is that God has judged mankind again at the Tower of Babel by confusing their languages and scattering mankind across the earth. And that is the reason for the development of mankind in various nations and in various races. If you don't accept that biblical history, you don't have a biblical worldview. And if you don't accept that, you're not possibly going to understand the world in which you live today. You are throwing away the key of knowledge, which explains the world in which we live today. And that's why the secular scientist will go wrong. He ignores what the Creator has revealed to him. In fact, he rejects what the Creator has revealed. He rules out of all of his experiments and investigations right at the beginning. He rules out the very possibility of a Creator. And then he takes his instruments and he begins to examine the earth. He looks at the rocks, he looks into the sea, he looks into the land and the sky, he looks into the stars. He takes a microscope to look at small and tiny things. He works with chemicals in his laboratory. But by such investigations, he can never determine truth. And he can never find the origin of all things. But the issue here is not evidence. It's not that the Christian and the unbeliever have different evidence. They're looking at the same evidence. The issue is how do they interpret the evidence according to their different worldview. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And the unbelieving scientist says, if I can paraphrase it this way, by, by unbelief in which we rule out God, we understand that the worlds and everything in them arose by random processes over billions of years, with no foresight or planning by any intelligence, so that the things which we see are made of other things which we also see. So there's faith and there's unbelief. And I cannot convince you this evening, and no one can convince you this evening, that your Creator is Jesus Christ. The fact that He died on the cross and rose again and ascended into heaven according to the word of God, if that fact does not convince you, no one will be able to convince you because only believers are convinced of this truth and only God himself, working through the preaching of the gospel, can convince you to believe the truth of God's word. We've looked at the creation, we've looked at the bad news of the fall into sin, and finally we look at the good news 
What has God done to deliver his people from the fall into sin? And amazingly, God, just after the fall, just after Adam and Eve had rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden, he came to them with a plan of salvation, which he revealed to them in these words. Speaking to the devil, he said these words, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That is the first promise of a saviour in the Bible. And notice what God promises about this saviour. First of all, the saviour will be a true man. The seed of the woman. Second, the Savior is more powerful than a mere man because this Savior is more powerful than Satan himself. He shall bruise Satan's head. And third, the Savior will, in the act of salvation, suffer. Satan shall bruise his heel. So he's a true man, he's more powerful than a mere man, and in his work of salvation he shall suffer. And that saviour is Jesus Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, God unfolds that promise. And then that promise is fulfilled and realised in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a real man. He has real flesh. He has real blood. He has a real soul. He is a real biological descendant of Adam. And therefore, he is biologically related to us in our humanity. But Jesus Christ is more than a man. He is eternal God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is, as we saw in John 1 and Colossians 1, he is the creator. And as the creator and as the Son of God, he possesses all of the attributes or characteristics of God. He is true God. He is not a creature. And the wonder of the gospel of salvation is this, that the Son of God who is true and eternal God, willingly took upon himself human flesh and blood so that he could become a man, so that he could save his people. And at the same time, he did not cease to be God. And thus this Jesus Christ, unlike anyone else, combines in one person true humanity and perfect deity. He has two natures. He has one person and two natures. The divine nature has all of the attributes of divinity, and the human nature has all of the limitations of humanity, except sin. 
And that means that Jesus alone is qualified to be the Savior. He alone is able to suffer in the human nature the punishment of God against sin without being destroyed by that punishment. And he is therefore able to deliver us from that punishment. And so Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience. And at the end of his life, he willingly suffered and died on the cross to save his people from their sin. And having paid the penalty for sin on the cross, he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he rules over all things as the creator, as the son of God and as the Lord. And God commands all men everywhere and he commands you this evening as well. Turn from your sin. Turn from your unbelief and believe in this Jesus Christ, the Creator and the Lord and the Savior. And God promises to all those who believe that they shall have eternal life and be saved. As Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.